0: Good morning. Welcome. If you are new here, my name is Taylor. I'm Shannon's assistant. Um, if you are not new here, welcome back. I don't have that many announcements for you this morning, but just wanted to welcome you to Bible study. If you have not um, had a chance to invite a friend, there's still plenty of time to invite someone with you as we continue in Acts this semester. Um, please remember there's coffee in the lobby, so if you'd like to come early and fellowship with some of your friends, that'd be awesome. There's coffee starting at 930 If you know any moms who are looking for some time in the Word with Jesus uninterrupted, please invite them. We have daycare available um, for all ages, uh, which is really awesome that Shannon provides that for here and also Wednesday mornings as well. If you have a high schooler who is looking for a high school Bible study to join, she has that on Wednesday nights as well, and then she also has a Tuesday night Bible study um, tonight. Uh, If you have any other questions, please feel free to meet me in the lobby afterwards. If you would love to give to Mary Shannon Ministries, there are giving cards out there as well. You can also donate on her website, catch up on her podcast, and YouTube on her website as well. It's good to see you all. Have a great day. Am
1: I on? All right. Awesome. Good morning. Do you love this weather? Me too. I love it. All right, so I oh hold on, I forgot something. Okay, so some of you laugh like they're, you're like, really, we only come for the first part, of your stories, um, which I I get, you know, I, I am a hot mess, but uh, just so you know, my hip is good. Yes, I went to Dr. Shane McCall, who is amazing, and um, oh, I. I just love him. I love his heart for Jesus. I love the fact I'm listening to worship. And they hook up that TENS machine, you know, and you're like, okay. But you know what's crazy? This has happened to me. I'm going to talk to you all for about 10 minutes today. So just relax, okay? Um, Because this is how you get to know me, and we all realize we're on the—we're just the same, okay? Um, So I go in there. He hooks me up to that TENS machine on my lower back. And it's happened to me before. It was about, I don't know, maybe a year after Zachary passed away. And I, was, um, I went to this recovery place because I was running a lot. And this guy started to stretch me. And I, I told you all this before, but if you haven't been here for a while, you won't remember. And all of a sudden, I could feel all this emotion. I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you. All of this emotion. Now, I'm in a public place. I am being stretched by this guy. And the main guy said, no, wait, I want to come stretch her. So he was like a pro at it. And he said, you know, so tell me about yourself. And as he stretched it, because he can feel all this. Well, I look up to him and I said, I don't want you to be alarmed. (laughs) I am about to cry my guts out. And when I tell you cry... It's like you opened the door and I was like, "Ah!" and he's still stretching. He is as calm as can be. One of the other uh, retired NFL players, the one I knew, sat down and watched me and just like, you could just see it's heartbreaking. I did not stop. They put me in red light therapy. I was still crying. Like I realized for the first time back then how Knit together, we are physically and emotionally right. So I had that experience. Thank goodness, because when I'm in Shane McCall's office, I'm laying flat, and they've got the tent on my butt. Sorry, I don't know if I should have said that. People listen online, but whatever. Uh, he put it on my rear end, and all the way, and I, and you can feel those muscles start to relax. I can feel it again. I'm laying down on that thing. <laughs> And the thing is, is that you don't even logically put together everything you're crying about. It's just like a door got opened and it's all stuffed in there. So he comes in, I go, don't be alarmed. (laughs) Well, he is a Jesus loving fool, right? Dr. McCall. So he's like, Shannon, this happens every day. Every day. We hold in our emotion and our stress and all that we carry. You carry a lot. And so anyway, then, you know, uh, he adjusted me, which always scares me to death because I'm the tightest human on the planet. And I'm like, I think you broke my neck. I, I really do. That was disgusting. So then Carly, who is the PA there, who's amazing, she knocked out my hip issue because I got these shots in my hip. I walked out of there, a new woman, like in 10 minutes, It was amazing, but I relaxed, you know, and yesterday I walked like four and a half miles. So we're good. I go back for a checkup today. So there's your report about my hip, Jacob and Israel. It's all okay. But I want to tell you where I have been fighting uh, internally. I just want to tell you a little bit about myself because I think we all face our own individual um, issues. So, you know, last week I went and spoke to young girls, high school girls, okay? And I've told you before how alarming and difficult it is to speak to high schoolers today. So much that in many occasions, I've probably made it about me and I, wanna, I just want to quit. Because for the first time in my life, I'm absolutely alarmed, because it's not just about biblical illiteracy it's about illiteracy period it is about the ability to pay attention it is about a maturity it is about um a respect it is it's all kinds of stuff like it it's a whole new ball game and it's super hard to know how to address it and how to teach it. And um, so there's a lot to that. I'll give you one example in high school Bible study. Do you remember uh, not too long ago, the issue came up, we were talking about, it said, and the gospel. And I asked you guys, well, when you think about the gospel, what do you think about? And it was a challenge because I took you back to Luke, if you remember, and I said that Jesus was preaching the gospel. And I asked you, then what is that? What is he preaching? Because his disciples don't even fully understand that he's going to the cross yet. So, what is the gospel? So, in my assumption for all of you, you would have told me right off the bat the gospel is that man is a sinner, that Jesus died on the cross for our sin, that he paid the debt. He conquered sin and death, raising up, and by putting our faith in him, he gives us eternal life, heaven. And I was trying to take you further to understand he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. It doesn't just end right there, he's preaching about ushering in a kingdom. Do you remember this? He's ushered in a new kingdom, and he is the first fruit of that kingdom as his resurrection. And he's been teaching about the kingdom, and he's been showing us what it's like. If it's hungry, feed it. If it's sick, heal it. If it's dead, right? We've, we've talked all about that. So the assumption was you knew today's evangelical like gospel message, which is true. I was just expanding it for you through the scripture. Here's what's alarming. When I asked the high schoolers, what is the gospel, they didn't even know that. They did not know what just that gospel is. And I, I like fed them some stuff, like trying to let them know what I, what I was after. One came up with good news. There's a couple. I said, so what is the good news? Crickets. Crickets. And so, and these are the kids that are coming after five weeks ago when I ripped them a new one, and I've never had to do that in all of my ministry years. Never. I almost took it personal. I thought, no, I'm out. I I can't relate to kids anymore. I'm past them. I'm too old. I'm all this. And then I realized, uh, I don't know if that's true or not. Or if this is the problem, and I had about 30 kids left after I ripped them, to be quite honest, that are committed now, some of which come to me and say, thank you so much for doing that, because we've been irate for the last four weeks, because we actually want to learn, and this is nonsense, right? And I'm thinking, I couldn't teach in school anymore, I'd be fired, right? I would be fired. Because I laid out to them, you have no idea what you have here, the opportunity. And not to mention that, I'm a professional. I'm not going to sit here and put up with this kind of nonsense. It's just not going to happen. This is optional. If your parents are making you come, tell them I said not to. Because what'll happen, if it's there, you'll come back around and I'll get you on the backside. It's okay if this time is not right. But you're not going to distract me from what I'm doing. You're not because I've got plenty of things that I could be doing, but I have a passion for you guys. And I mean, I did. I ripped them. I said, if you want to flirt with your boyfriend, go on a date. This is not the place. Like, you don't mess with me. So... I am telling you, we're dwindled down, and this is the dwindled down. And they did not know that part of the gospel. So I walk away from there going, you identify as a Christian, but what are you identifying as? Are you just identifying as something you're actually not? Let that sink in for a minute. Then fast forward, okay, now I'm going over to speak to high school girls. And I really am being asked to speak about who they are in Christ, that they're beautiful, um, that they are not alone, all this stuff, which is all good. It really is. I want them to know all that. But in many ways, do you see how even some of our teaching is kind of all like bubble narcissistic, you know, all that stuff? So I go in there and I was fighting with Jesus for days about what to do with them. I have 30 minutes. My Lord, I can't change people's lives in 30 minutes. You know me. I can't tell a story in less than two. I mean, what in the world? So I'm going and I decide, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to use a little Hannah, you know, the three points of Hannah that, you know, the world gives us a false standard of what it is to be a woman. All of those false standards are being sent to you. I talked about that. That, you know, Panina, the other woman, that there's always comparison. And what comparison does is it highlights the insecurities you already have because you think that you have to meet up with a false standard. So I talked about that. And then what do we do when we don't feel uh, worth anything is we try to find fulfillment in some outside source. So you have this issue with her husband who says, isn't my love enough to replace, you know, more than 10 sons. And you're like, no, it's not. Right. And I talked to them about when we have that insecurity and we don't know our worth, that we have our cup out there going, tell me I'm beautiful. Tell me I'm wonderful. Am I worthy? And I go, and I'm going to tell you what, that is seriously dangerous when you're out there seeking that out of emptiness and insecurity, and it's impossible. Nobody can fill that up. So I touched on all that, who they are. They were knit together in their mother's womb. But here's the thing. I said, but look what Hannah did. She went to God. Now, who did she go to? Her God, that she knew, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am, she called him that 18 times. What does that mean? It means that she could let go because she understood that her story, that God was in her personal story, which was a story of pain. But more than that, what? Her story was just a part of a much bigger story. And that's why we need to know the entire narrative of what story we're a part of. I said, because I'm going to tell you right now, I love the fact that I get to come and tell you guys you're beautiful, you're not alone, and all these things. It's important. But what I also want to tell you is that in many ways, as parents, we've created a false reality for you that life is lovely and easy and beautiful in our homes. And the fact is, life isn't. It's hard and they don't have control over it. Your parents, you're going to have problems they cannot fix and they'll agonize through those problems with you. That's part of the burden of being a parent is you get to hurt for yourself. You get to hurt for your kids. You get to hurt for your grandkids, all of those kinds of things, right? And I said, so the issue is we've created this false reality that life is great as long as you know who you are. No, you can know who you are and life can be terrible. And I said, but here's the thing. You know it's going to be worth it to endure because you have a purpose, because your life fits in a bigger narrative that is heading somewhere. And it happens to be heading for a great restoration where we can all celebrate. I said, if I thought my story was all there was, ho, oh, I would have laid down and died, completely laid down and died. And I can tell you what, I knew I was beautiful. I knew I was put together by God, knit together. I knew I was not alone, but I was dying inside. And, and knowing all that and having that to wrestle with, at least I had all that, praise God. It, it's not what kept me in the game. What kept me in the game is knowing that my personal story fit into a greater narrative that was heading somewhere. And I had a purpose. And I said, stop thinking about yourself and get on with it. God has been let out of the box. We have a purpose, the church, and that is to live out this life. And so I sit there and I walk I walk away and I'm thinking, okay, do they get it? Because I think I blew their face off. And to be quite honest, oh, and I want you to know I started by asking them, because when I said she knew the story, I started to kind of roughly go through highlights of the story. I can tell you that maybe two out of 50 or so knew who uh, Abraham was. Uh, They don't know who Noah is they don't know. I don't think y'all understand (laughs) what we're facing. And so I stopped in the middle of the story and I just stopped it, kind of tied it together, went for the, my big conclusion, because I could have told them that story all day long. And I'm mentioning people that they've never heard of. So I had to get to the punch. So I'm walking around this all these weeks since my gripe out of the high school that I do all the time, getting over the pride that now I have 30 kids showing up and I used to could pack the place, uh, thinking that, and then going and teaching these girls and seeing that I'm blowing their face off too. And then wondering, and then I have the pressure too. Uh, <laughs> I am going to talk about the Bible today. Are y'all interested in any of this? Okay. Uh, I have the pressure too of um, just being a human being and thinking, I'm not sure I'm ever going to have a job in the years to come. I don't know if anybody really has ears to hear or to care about what I've always done or what I'm passionate about. Now, when it comes to the end of it, I trust God. I'm a sojourner. Listen, I am the migrant worker of, of Bible teaching. I'm always on the move. I, you don't even know where I'm going to be next year. You just gonna have to find me. Okay. Um, I, and so that's okay. But do you understand what I mean? Like, do we really have ears even for it if it's offered? So I always, I think of that. I tell Rob, hold everything lightly. We could be spinning signs on the street next month. You never know what is going to happen, right? You can only make choices based on what you, and this is everybody. It's not just Bible teachers. We could all be spinning a sign on the on the corner next week. So I'm feeling the burden of that generation being so illiterate, okay? Then um, this week, I get nudged from a different angle. I'm not going to go into detail, but in... Basically, by talking about how biblically illiterate this generation is, it ended up in a conversation that pointed out, basically, a pastor that I think is pretty awesome, and uh, his, la- his different stand on something, okay? And to where this is what we should do as Christians, this is the right thing to do, this is, you know, that opposite end, where there's great knowledge Are are you with me? It's really kind of what I came from, to be quite honest. And I I remember just saying, I thought I'm not going to get into the topic, but what I'm going to do is say be very careful about the cancel culture mentality that we bring in the church. The minute somebody is not in our camp on an issue. We can't wait to put it out there as if they're a heretic and then we throw away everything they've ever said that now they're no good, okay? And so then you're like, you see this. This is how it has to operate. This is what is right. This is, this is the right traditions and ideas. And so then in the back of my head, I, get, I all of a sudden feel all the judging thoughts. And I hear all of those voices that were always there in my head all those years. And I'm having like a visceral reaction against that as well. And so I'm feeling all of these things and I'm thinking, well, heck, you could come sit in my Bible study. Probably you'll think I'm a heretic because I, I don't, um, have some of the same thoughts, uh, theologically as you do. And Lord, I don't have a man overseeing me. So, I mean, what are we going to do about that? You know, she's been released. And so, uh, you know, all this stuff. So I, am feeling it all. And then I'm studying and I wrestle through the scripture and all of a sudden I just, I'm having so much pressure and I'm thinking, I can't do this. Like, how am I supposed to do this? God how do I even impact that generation? What if I do it wrong? What if in the freedom, my deep pursuit of the truth, because that's always what it's been. And really for me, I just am a student. I just tell y'all what I learned. You can go any direction you want, but I want to be free to think. I'm tired of people telling us what we have to think. This is what he is. This is what we have to do. Let me wrestle. I didn't teach the same way seven years ago that I teach today. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Am I a heretic? Because I might've taken a turn you didn't take. So it's, it's a lot of pressure, in that. And then you I, I sat, I was so appreciative of Ashley Wildridge's um, you know, his message on, on criticism, reminding me I have an audience of one, right? Audience of one. I am just a small story in this. I can only impact what my reach is, right? And so <laughs> yesterday, after studying all day, I was just like, I don't know, I was having all kinds of so then. I don't know if you're like me, but you need someone to be with you in that. So I go out to the garage and Rob is there and I do what I typically do to him. It's kind of funny. I begin to tell this whole story of stuff because I think if I can tell it well enough, he can feel what I feel. (laughs) And I see the smirk on his face, right? He's just letting me. Just let me, and I and I go, and and then. But I could see him kind of grim when I finally got to the point, like, "Oh, that's the point of all that she just gave me." So then I started laughing. I said, "Do you understand what I'm doing? I need you to feel what I feel. I need you to be in it with me and feel this burden. I need somebody to understand what it is like, what all I feel uh, with." just Zach and pain and ministry and isolation. And I go, I'm Elijah under the tree, but I know there are other, all of this, I need you to feel it. And he goes, Shannon, I can't. And I said, I know you can't. And I said, and he goes, I can't feel the depths of what you feel. And I said, no, you can't. And I said, and with that, you can't feel the heights that I feel. Because it is the walking through the depths that also there are times where I could talk to him all day long and he cannot experience all that I feel in my office when God shakes that room and I'm just beside myself in tears, worshiping, thinking, how? I go, you can't feel it. So I walk in. It's not enough. I'm just like, gosh, somebody needs to understand. So I go in and I FaceTime. I try to, I, I text Derek here because he's one of my just dear friends. I think, okay, I'm gonna talk to Derek. I'd already talked to Glubish, And so um, he's not getting, I said, hey, can we FaceTime? He's not getting back to me. He's not getting back to me. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, okay, now what? Well, how about the Lord? Because I, you know. I happen to be in the place where the Holy Spirit is really active, and I just sat there, and I, I thought to myself, you know what, I remember when Jesus Calling first came out, and I thought, that is the most simple anointed book I have ever read in my life. I didn't feel that way about the second one, and she may have a third one out. It was only the first one for me. Like I, it, There was something about it, <laughs> and I thought, Okay, pretty simple. January 29th. So I'm telling you all this to know, my spiritual life is just like yours. Like, it may be different avenues or worries or anxieties or whatever, but it always comes back to a relationship. Here's what it was. (laughs) Keep your focus on me. That's how it started. you know how the first lines all capitalized? Keep your focus on me. I have gifted you with amazing freedom, including the ability to choose the focal point of your mind. Only the crown of my creation has such remarkable capability. This is the sign of being made in my image. Let the goal of this day be to bring every thought captive to me. Whenever your mind wanders, lasso those thoughts and bring them into my presence. Not Rob's, not Derek's. Not my presence. In my radiant light, anxious thoughts shrink and shrivel away. Isn't that the truth? It's not all up to me. Judgmental thoughts are unmasked as you bask in my unconditional love. Audience of one, baby. Confused ideas are untangled while you rest in the simplicity of my peace. I will guard you and keep you in constant peace as you focus your mind on me. Are you kidding me? Then Derek texts me back. I FaceTimed him. I said, I don't need you anymore. (laughs) He started laughing. I then went through, of course, I went through all of it. And then I said, but I want you to see what just happened. And I said, could you have said it any better? And he goes, no, ma'am. No, ma'am. And I think sometimes what's hard for me is I I get to feeling a little isolated because I kind of am... I have a good community. I have to reach out to them. I'm not in a, on a church staff, you know, a team working together. So sometimes you can feel a little bit like you're an island unto your own, you know. And if your people aren't as invested or whatever, you start to take it personal. They don't care anymore. This is the direction we're going. It's, it's just a whole mind craze. Are y'all like me at all? Okay. And so, but I just wanted to tell you, This is what we're talking about. Actually, I live out a lot of what I'm studying because I realize God is not in a box for me to maneuver. He is alive and it is about a relationship and walking every day with him and leaning in with him. It is not relying on old traditions and old structures and old knowledge, right? It is growing and it takes incredible courage to seek truth. It takes incredible courage to have questions and think, you know what? That answer doesn't satisfy me anymore. I'm not sure that's right. And to go beyond, and it takes courage to think that I'm able to do that in the safety of my Lord and not become a heretic. And you know what? It is, uh, it's pretty awesome too, To allow other people to do the same thing and to be gentle in spirit and to maybe ask questions and guide them in gentleness because they have a path to go to and quit uh, in great fear being the control freak, dominating, telling them what life has to be, giving them some space to grow. And so I think all of that is applicable to you, but I just, I have to share it with people. So, you know, we're all on this same journey too. We all seek outside fulfillment when we're feeling insecure or outside kudos or whatever. But the fact is what we have an audience of one and he he's enough So we are, I'm going to pray now, believe it or not, and we're going to, I'm going to read the second half of Stephen's uh, sermon, and I'm going to basically kind of tie that sermon up because, wow, you want to talk about a narrative? Why did he tell a narrative? because we relate to stories and he's saying, I share in this narrative, this is our history. Here is what I think. And he draws them in. And then by doing that, he just like Nathan did to David will say what? You the man. Okay. This is what happens to me in the Bible. I study the Bible. I'm in it. I have the, I see the points. I see what is going on. And then as I meditate on it, what happens to me? The Holy Spirit goes, hey, Shannon, you the man. This is you. Here's a spot. Take a look at it. And it's just amazing. Lord, thank you so much for uh, bringing us together. And I pray that in this uh, last half, God, that you will just reveal these scriptures to us in just a beautiful, true and new way and an applicable way. We sure love you. We're all here together seeking you and your face. Um, May we glow out to our um, communities, honestly. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Acts 7, I'm going to start, uh, I think, 35. Okay. But let's think about this. What are the accusations? He has been accused of blasphemy, basically, of four things. God Moses, the law, and the temple, okay he's already basically addressed one, you guys, uh God, for sure he's saying. Blasphemy against God. Am I God critical? I mean, that's, he's going to tell a story showing that he's not God critical. He's not blaspheming God. It's the same God. He's the God of glory, the Creator God. And what does he show through the narrative? I believe he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is our God. He is the promise keeping God. And then what does he do in the story? He shows, does he not? He shows that every time God keeps his promise, that he made a promise to Abraham, and that promise was handed down to Isaac and then to Jacob, and then Jacob had 12 sons. And then he tells the story of what happened to Joseph. Joseph has a calling that he is going to be a savior. At the end of the day, he has the dream of that. He sees that in the future, whether he understands it or not. But what happens because of a great famine, the promise of a redeemer, a King that is going to come through the family of Abraham, right? And Abraham's going to be a nation. Do you remember all that promise he made to Abraham? It's all on the line because the family of 70 is about to kick it in a famine. And so they have this deal where God is going to be faithful, right? God's going to raise up a leader. But what happens? They reject their own brother, beat the living crud out of him, throw him in a well, sit down and have a sandwich and sell him away to the enemy. And you have all this, basically this kind of death imagery, all this hardship, but eventually what? God is faithful and he raises up that leader who is given authority and the ability to what? Save his people. And so now we see that God is a promise keeping God. He is not blaspheming God. He's showing it in in the history of how he sees God. And they then came to Egypt and the promise was fulfilled. Here they are. They're going to grow into a nation, right? And they're going to be oppressed by a foreign nation, but God is going to hear their cry, right? And then what does he go into? He goes into Moses, right? And he's like, is he Moses critical? You know the story, how he tells it. He's not Moses critical. He's saying what? Moses was a beautiful baby seen by God. Here was the, the tyrant had come up and oppressed them. What is the problem? The promise is in danger. The nation is about to be uh, extinct because of what the tyrant is doing. But God is a promise keeping God. So what does he do? He raises up one called Moses, a beautiful baby that he saves in an ark in the river Nile, all this symbolism, and Pharaoh's daughter sees him and he's raised in all the wisdom of Egypt, but what? He figured that his brothers would understand that he was willing to give all of that up, what? To be their savior. But what happened? No. They don't see that God is a promise keeping God, that he's protecting them, that he is on the move. There is a plan happening. What do they do? They reject Moses and he then goes away and then the second time returns and they realize who he is and they, he frees them and we have all that symbolism of the Passover and he leads them through the Red Sea and he brings them to Mount Sinai, right? Is he being God critical? No. Is he being Moses critical? No, not at all. He's showing their history. So let's look at it. It says in verse 35, "Then Moses whom they rejected saying, who made you ruler and judge? A clear answer to that is who? God. This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the in the bush this man led them out performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the red sea and in the wilderness for 40 years this is the moses who said to the israelites God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey them, but thrust "'Him aside, and in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, "'saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. "'As for this Moses, who led us out from the land of Egypt, "'we don't know what has become of him. "'And they made a calf in those days "'and offered a sacrifice to the idol "'and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. "'But God turned away and gave them over "'to worship the hosts of heaven, "'as it is written in the book of the Prophets.'" Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of the god Rephan and images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that has, he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. That can also be interpreted, by the way, as the house of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him, yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You can write out beside there Isaiah 66 if you want. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Ooh, snap. Uh Uh-huh. So let me find out where I want to be. I love that in, in the text, it says over and over, this Moses, this Moses. This Moses, if you'll notice, I think that's super interesting, almost insinuating this Moses that I'm talking about, but what there is another one like him to come, which we see that when he tells them, God will raise up for you a prophet like me. So up until this point, Stephen is pointing out something. He's pointing out that God has a pattern of sending them leaders. He's faithful and they have a pattern of what? Of rejecting them. So he, he's put that soundly, but then he talks about uh, this Moses, this Moses with the idea he's saying that another one is coming. Now think about that. Moses stopped short, correct? Moses only got them to the edge of the promised land. He could not complete it. There had to be another, and man, he was a great leader. And sometimes we think, oh, dang, he just did one thing. He just hit the rock. Okay, there's something about that. That's big, okay? But he could not complete the job ushering them into the promised land. But there was going to come one, what? Like him, who was going to live out what in the time of Moses was legislated, in black and white with the law, but at this time, he was going to come out and what? Live it out, and then he was going to die on their behalf, fulfill that law for them, and what? This time, he's going to lead the way into the promised land. He is the first fruit of the promised land, and we follow. So don't think by saying this, Moses, and there's another one coming like me, that we should ever expect what? Another. Because they are clear that there is only one name by which we may be saved, and that is who? That is Jesus. From that moment on, the the leaders that are risen, right? are all representing him and what he has done. And he has forged the way through out of sin and slavery and through the waters into the wilderness and into the promised land. He is that Moses to come. He will finish the job. And so I want, I want you to see that. So it says, so remember the same Moses that met God, met God face to face, received the living oracles to give to us. And guess what? You guys pushed him aside and your hearts turned back to what? Egypt, right? I want you to think about, was Stephen being law critical? No. No. What did he call it? He said this law was the living oracles handed down by the face of God, by by the divine, handed down. He, He came and literally they're living their life, their freedom. And instead you decided what? To turn back to the tyrant. Your hearts wanted to go back to slavery. Let that sink in your head. They want to go back to the tyrant that did what to their children? Boom in the Nile River. I mean, they were enslaved, their children were killed. This is bad news. But I'm going to tell you what when you finally get out there and you look at the unknown, to have to trust and to follow and do life with, how often do we go, I feel a whole lot safer back in concrete structure. We put put ourselves back in chains. That's what we do. And so I don't believe for one minute that he is being uh, law critical or that he's blaspheming against the law. He calls them living oracles given by God right? And so um, later on, actually, it makes me think of John chapter 5, if you want to write that down, 39 through 40, where he says, basically, you've missed the law. You have searched it and searched it and searched it, every little piece of it, and you've missed him. The fact is, I'm not law critical. We're going to find out later. That's not the point. The problem was not with the law. He does not feel like the, it is the law right? That is the problem or that he's speaking against because the law is basically the nature of God. The problem is their inability to what? To keep the law. That's it. Is their inability to keep the law. And so he's not that. He said, instead, you rejoice in the works of your hands. It then goes on to saying, God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the hosts of heaven as it is written, that air, that right there is really interesting. That quote that you see, it's like a poem, right? It's set in the center. You remember me telling y'all about that? Okay. When something is set into the center, it's quoting. It is like a song or a poem or a prophet. Go back and see what's going on. If you had done that, you would see that there's some differences going on. Um, That matter of fact, in that it, um, And it's Amos 5, if you want to write it out there. If you like watching murder mysteries or cop shows or figuring things out, Bible is sweet. There are little clues everywhere of depth that you're going to miss, right? Search them out. Like, get interested. Get inquisitive. Let the questions come. Why is this indented? Oh, it's a quote. Where is it from? Oh, Amos 5. Well, wait a minute. It's not exactly the same. Well, why? Because Amos was a prophet speaking to the northern tribes of Israel that got scattered by the Assyrians. So when he's talking to them, he's talking about the judgment of the Assyrians to come and also the gods are a little different. But what he's doing is he's applying, Stephen is applying this same thing, but to Judah Judah wasn't scattered and it wasn't about Assyria. Judah was what? Taken into exile by who? Babylon. But the point is this. Starting in the wilderness, it says, uh, did you bring me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of the God Rephin, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. What is he saying? He is saying that the root of their idolatry, the worship of other gods than the one true God, It started in the wilderness, but it has been there all the way. It's exactly what took them into exile. That this has been a pattern from the time in the wilderness all the way through their history. The theme, that idolatry could be traced back to the origin of the wilderness. You want to control. You want to build the golden calf. You manufacture a God, because guess what? If you make it, you control it. And what's the problem? We did not create God. God created us, but we want to put him in an image and in a box that we control. They, it's all through their history. He is saying he, he followed and, and that's going to be part of now he addresses the temple, right? The place of God. And he says, you had the temple in the wilderness. It led the way, uh, not the temple, the tabernacle, right? And that Moses built a pattern of what he saw. Okay. So it is a pattern of something that is in reality, heaven. It's Pointing towards the real thing, it is not the object. Okay, do you understand that? And it said that he built uh, later on, it's going to say that Solomon built it's either uh, a house for God or a house for Jacob. Okay, and I'm going to come to that. But the point is, the tabernacle was built for them, not for God. Because what have we learned already in the sermon? The whole world is what? is God's. He met Abraham where in Mesopotamia. He was with Joseph where in Israel, in Egypt, he was with Moses where? in Egypt, in Midian. He had a temple experience, met with him right there at Mount Sinai. He was with his people in the wilderness, all of this happened what? Before there was a tabernacle or a temple and before the promised land. It's all God's. God is a sojourner, his house is with his people. And so they were given a tabernacle for them so that they could what? See God, be with God, worship God, right? Not maneuver him, he led them. He led them through the wilderness, right, into the promised land. Do you remember the stories of when they thought they could maneuver God? When they were fighting the Philistines and they thought, oh, we're getting our rear ends kicked because we left God in the box, in the camp. Let's go get him. This is going to be good. If he goes before us, remember, he ushered them in with Joshua, the priests, held that ark. He said, you lead with the ark and you stand in the middle of the Jordan River and I will dry it up and you go in. And this is my battle. Walk around that. And the walls fell. But, and and that's awesome. That was proper. God was leading the way. It was the throne of their living King. He's not in the box. He's above the box. He's leading the way. But back in the time of Eli and Samuel and Hophni and Phinehas, and they were fighting the Philistines, they thought, oh no, God dwells in the box like an idol, like taking an idol to war, a good luck charm. And they ended up getting it stolen and their butts kicked. And then they didn't treat it properly when it came back. And they realized they couldn't control it. So what did they do? They put it in exile. They sent it away. And it wasn't until David came to the throne and realized, and he went and got it. Do you remember the story? And then they didn't handle it properly. They think it's something they can maneuver however they want. And what happened? The dude reached out and touched it and dropped dead because it was set apart for God. It was holy. And he brings it in and he dances. And in a great harp out of thanksgiving to the leadership of God in the presence of God, David wants to build God a wonderful place to be worshiped. Right? But he can't. Who gets to? Solomon. But yet Isaiah 66 says that what? You can't put me in a house. What does he say? Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did your did not my hands make all of these things? Let's see what Solomon even says himself. Look over at uh, 1 Kings 8, when he builds it. 1 Kings 8, 27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. See, he's showing them that law critical, being law critical. The law was given by God. It was living oracles. It was walking in relationship with God so that we could live out what we were created to be and be a blessing to all nations. The problem was not the law, okay? The law was sent by God. Even when it was coming down, You couldn't wait. You rejected Moses and the law and you built your own idol. The origin of this has been there from the wilderness. All your good old days, it was all there to begin with because you like to make a God that you can see and you can maneuver and you can control. Trusting is scary, right? Problem's not with the law. And the temple was given for you right? It's kind of like the Sabbath. Do you remember that? Man was not made to serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath was given to man. It was like giving the garden back for the day. Do you understand that? It was beautiful. It is a time where you cease from the toil. It is a time where you remember all that God has done for you. And it is a sign that you have a relationship with God. That's what it is. That's the Sabbath. It's It's not a burden. And so he is saying, I'm not temple critical. You have the wrong idea of the temple. God is, yes, God, the spirit of God can happen in the temple. And we've seen that happen, right? It started there. The Holy Spirit comes down on them. Jesus taught in the temple. People were healed in the temple. The point is, it's not that God's presence can't be in the temple. The point is, it's not confined to the temple. That is the point. You are trying to confine him there so that you can control him. And I'm telling you, he's out of the box. So I am not critical of God. It's our same story. I am not critical of Moses. I am not critical of the law of life, the living oracles. this This is the way to live. I'm not critical of the temple, the the pattern, the beauty. What I'm critical of is what? You. Oh, snap. That's when it got bad. That is that's when they were enraged. They're in the story. They're seeing that, they're hearing the pattern. They do not respond until they personally are what? Nailed. I'm not critical of that. I'm critical of you because what you need to see is that you are them. You are them. And he calls them stiff necked. Right? What does that remind you? Who was called stiff necked all through uh, the wilderness right? The Israelites. So he's pointing back. He's like, you are just like your father. You are stiff necked. Um, I wrote on here. So stubborn, unwilling to bend or to rethink anything. I'm going to ask you something. Are you stiff necked? You got it all figured out? You know, all that you need to know. This is what it is. Cause this is what you've always been told it is. This is how God operates. We've come back putting God in a a box that we maneuver and we control. He goes on to say, you have have uncircumcised hearts and ears. I I dare you to, to go throughout the Bible and look for instances where it says uncircumcised hearts. It's intense. Okay, do that word study. Basically, he's saying you're spiritually dead. You have circumcised penises, like you're worried about, I know I just said that, but uh, you're worried about your nation, okay? Your cultural nation of, of something new that is coming, but you don't have a, you have an uncircumcised heart. You're spiritually dead. And because of that, you have uncircumcised ears. You're unwilling to listen, and you always resist the Holy Spirit? Anytime God is trying to save you, he raises up leaders. You've searched the scripture how, like nobody else and you've missed him? keeps his promise. He brought the redeemer. You looked at him and you rejected him and you killed him. Why? Because you're just like your fathers who killed every leader that came, the prophets, because you are stiff necked, stubborn. You are, you have no spiritual life and you don't have the eyes to see and you never follow the spirit. You're always turning back to the concrete. God is on the move, and you can't stop him. And what, what is the insinuation? If you're not following the Spirit, I am. This Greek-speaking Hebrew is coming in, and he's drawn them into their history, and then he turns his finger on them and says, I'm not the one blaspheming God, Moses the law and the temple. What? You are. Holy snap. Then all of a sudden, they become beasts. They become the beast. They are ripped into. I'm going to tell you something that you see here. You can say all you want about David's behavior in the Bible. The reason he was a man after God's own heart is because when his heart was ripped in two, he bowed his knee in humility. He had a circumcised heart and he had a circumcised ears and uh he did follow the spirit. He had all kinds of bad situation, right? But he, that's what he had. This time they got told a narrative and it was their narrative. It's true, it wasn't even like a made up story. And their heart was ripped in two. And instead of repentance, it came out as what? Rage. And we're going to hear when we come back next week, what that produced. It produced the first martyr. And you can say all day long, why? Can you imagine? Stephen a man they couldn't hold up to in a debate that had the most wonderful spirit that we see and you could say why god why did you let him die so young why lord why did it have to happen like this like he gave an amazing speech he was killed right there it was illegal why well we're going to see why because his story fit in a what a much bigger one and I got to thinking, how do we even know this story? Well, could it be that the one who in the clothing was laid at his feet, Saul, who Luke traveled with all the time, this sermon never left his memory. Because I'm here to tell you what is going to happen, right, is at some point he's going to meet Christ. And Christ is going to say, Why are you persecuting me? And we're going to see such a flip. We're going to look at that. That is the most beautiful transformation. All right. In the Bible, good. So here's the thing you've got to apply this to yourself. You really do. You need to sit with these things. Are you putting God in the box? Do you have a heart that when it is ripped, you bow the knee? Do you have ears to hear? Are you quieting the Holy Spirit? Are you trusting God and realizing he's always on the move? He's not put in a concrete structure. And and the church has been lit on fire to go out, to go out of the building and to be a light to the world. And it happens in all different ways, all different stories adding to the big narrative. And it's not all on my shoulders, praise God. It's not all on your shoulders. We bear it together. And so get your faith in the book, right? Lord, thank you so much for today. I thank you for your word. Wow, it just cuts through. It's true. But Lord, I don't want to be a person that searches all of the black and white of the word. And I don't walk with you who is alive and well and speaking through the spirit. You won't ever speak contrarily to your word or against your word. But I don't want to be that person that knows every jot and tittle of the word and uh, does not live out um, a spirit-filled life and impact the world. And so God let it, let it fillet my heart and open up my heart and teach me and change me along the way. It's okay. It is okay to grow and let me be willing to grow in public and to question. But Lord, I have the freedom to seek the truth and I want to do that. And I want to hear your voice and um, live it out before you. And so God guide us, guide us where we need to be, um, to be a part of the church, that you let on fire. We sure love you. In Jesus' name, amen.